This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour, Washington Post columnist, great guy, and Fox News contributor. Uh, we'll be discussing that. And today is a lot going on. Uh, Senator Graham and Blumenthal uh, will hold the press conference uh, in uh, talking about uh, making the Russian, you know, that Wagner group. They want to put them on the terrorist, uh, uh, foreign terrorist organization list. I'm all for that. I mean, they're they're brutal. They're also just tearing up Africa, too. Vice President Pence will speak at the Coolidge and the American Project Conference. Looks like he's a uh, library, I should say. Looks like he's going to run for president. And Speaker McCarthy and a delegation will be down at the border. So these are some of the things happening, and you're happening. So let's get to the big three because you're listening to this show. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. For a strong America, for a proud America, I am running for president of the United States of America. Off to a good start. Nikki goes beyond assessing. She's in the 2024 race and also taking a shot at both Trump and Biden's age while not touching Trump's policies. Meanwhile, the president shows, the former president shows, the former U.N. ambassador, he's done his opposition research on his new opponent. Number two. Just makes the story get worse and worse for the Biden administration because it wasn't as if the sneaky Chinese got this balloon past our radar and suddenly it appeared over our missile silos in Montana. They've been watching this balloon for weeks. And I have a huge problem with this. China continues to throw out threats and attacks for our shooting down of what they call a weather balloon blown off course. And our vice president not only has no answer, but says it won't affect relations. Can you imagine a weaker response? Oh, I stand corrected. The president's lack of response is worse. Number one. I can't believe, you know, right before I came on, DeWine went... Wasn't it just yesterday they were told not to drink the water? Yes. Now today they're told you can drink the water? This is just turning into one nightmare, if you ask me. Aaron Brockovich weighing in. Palestinians, Palestine, Palestine residents are steaming. Why they didn't, uh, why they didn't, um, why didn't the owners of that derailed toxic train show up to answer their questions at a jam-packed town hall last night. 700 people. Also, another no-show was Mayor Pete. Anyone answers to how they risk all the all they can? Uh, you know, what's going on over there? I'm not sure. Mayor Pete's not there. I think Congressman uh, Bill Johnson has not been strong. I think Governor DeWine's been terrible. And basically, this city has to wonder, can I trust anything anybody's saying, especially when the people don't show up to answer the questions? So here's the deal. This train derails on February 3rd. Here we are at the end of February or or just past February, February 16th, right in the middle. And we still don't have any answers. And I'm just shocked that this administration doesn't 
bring it up that uh, Mayor Pete doesn't show up. He just tweets about it. Mayor Trent Conway was there and said this last night, cut three. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. This is my town. I'm not going to sell my house. I'm not going to move my kids out of the school. I'm here to stay. And they're going to make it right. And that's it. That, that's it. We're, I'm done playing games. They're not playing games either. I'm not. It's not he said, she said. They screwed up our town. They're going to fix it. Yeah, I would say they really screwed up your town big time. What I'm really uh, stunned about is the CEO has not even come down. He's got a $4.5 million house. He never leaves. Uh, he evidently just uh, doesn't feel as though he has to do what the BP people did when they had that big spill. Remember? I didn't love the way he acted, but at least they were there every single day. There's something about showing up that people appreciate. And also, you get answers to what people are concerned about and what actually is going on. So instead of someone saying, we have 3,500 dead fish in the water, you go down there and you see the fish for yourself. And then you ask people, how, how typical is this? Is this as odd as it seems? Maybe the answer is no, it isn't. And people have never looked at it like this. Congressman Johnson, who represents the area, told the crowd to come down to him after the meeting and give him the questions that they want answered, and he would relay it to Norfolk Southern, who owns the rail. Forget that. Really? You're going to answer my questions? That is crazy. Harmy Dillon understands that these residents uh, have been really left out to dry. Cut eight. One of the things that we've seen from reporting today in the last couple of days has been that residents who are having testing done of their homes, uh, courtesy Norfolk Southern, are being asked to sign waivers uh, of the testing company's liability. And this is significant because, let's say, a testing company that's being paid by the very railroad, uh, uh, very railroad company that uh, you might be suing, tells you it's okay to go to your house and then later you develop cancer or other disease. Uh, you've lost your right to sue that company on which you relied. That's a good point. And I talked to one woman today on television, and I said, what happened? She I go, you're in the one-mile zone where they told you evacuate. What did you do? She goes, I left. And I said, what would you do? Well, did anyone give you any money to get your hotel room? She goes, no, but I got reimbursed. I said, did you have to find, sign a form? And she said, yeah. She said, but it wasn't a disclaimer or a waiver. It was just that I, just proof that I, that I got my money. But I go, it's not proof that you're not, that's not all the money you get. I have insurance for stuff like this. I also don't understand. I don't know enough about rails, the system, the transportation. But 10 cars were full of this vinyl chloride. 10 cars. And because it was less than half, they didn't have to go under the hazardous, uh, you know, hazardous transportation label, which would have provided a heads up to the surrounding town. Maybe they wouldn't have taken it. And they would have had different precautions. Maybe you save additional money. I think this is going to be a much bigger story also. Why are we looking at all these derailments? Derailment over in South Carolina, derailment over in Texas, derailment over in Ohio. Something odd. Here's Governor DeWine. Cut one. I was just handed a couple minutes ago the results of the testing of the village's water supply. There's five separate wells. And we now have results back from all the wells. All the wells indicate uh, the testing is negative, it's clear. Uh, that water certainly can, can be uh, consumed by, by residents. Really? Okay. Because yes, two days ago you said that I would drink bottled water, Governor DeWine. And, and the thing is, 
You should be outraged if you're the Republican congressman and the Republican governor because the president hasn't shown up. He hasn't spoken about it. The transportation secretary's MIA. And you are the ones representing them. Got to go to Washington and make everyone take notice. And so far, no one's taking notice and they're getting a total pass. As I see it. So the president of the United States doesn't speak about that. And he doesn't speak about what's happening with China. So why would he? Three, four things shot out of the sky, one of which was a balloon that had the whole country on edge two weeks ago. Now we know that some, most of the payload has been taken off the ocean floor over in South Carolina. And the other three look like they were benign balloons. Some people were telling me that one of the balloons they blew up, by the way, every time we took a shot, $450,000, uh, was from a dealership, a car sale. We really don't know the difference between a balloon that said 10% off every Mitsubishi and an actual surveillance balloon or a would-be UFO? I'm stunned by that. Are you? How about the fact that you have a situation with China where not only are they not apologizing, they're attacking us because we sanctioned six companies that provided material for this surveillance balloon. And now they say this, this China, uh, they're coming at us. And, she, and they, basically, uh, they basically said this. And by the way, don't expe- I expect the president to speak about this soon. China vows to retaliate for downing the balloon, says we undermine their sovereignty in doing so. And we, by sanctioning six of their companies, they're saying that uh, they're unmanned weather balloons, and yet that blew off course. It was no big deal. They say America, here's the quote, abused force and overreacted, escalating the situation and then used threats as a pretext to illegally sanction Chinese companies. China is, po- is, is, uh, is poised uh, to this. As poised to use a countermeasure. Now, Vice President Harris, instead of showing strength, says, when asked about the spy balloon fiasco, she says this, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it'll affect relations. I don't believe it was a super breach. And the President of the United States says, I don't believe it was a major breach. So in a time in which China has breached our air security, first time in 60 years we know of that it's been done, they say it's no big deal. Among the people who says the president is wrong about that and should address Senator Tester, Senator Blumenthal, Senator Menendez. What do they have in common? They're all Democrats. When we come back, I'm going to go inside what's happening over in Ohio, at uh, Palestine, and also be going over what's on in China. And then review Nikki Haley's launch and what the pre- former president said about her. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Are you experiencing any symptoms? A little lightheaded, and my lips did get all tingly yesterday when we went to clean up the house. It smells terrible up around the house, and there is black residue on the picture's surface stuff. I hit a cloud of something down in there. That it put me in. I went to the hospital. It was worried about me having a. I've been so stressed out. They they put me on an EKG, thinking I'm going to have a freaking heart attack because of my stress being so high. I want to know what I sucked in. Wow, uh, that is the story in Palestine, Ohio, as we try to find out how toxic those chemicals that spilled out from the derailed train are to those people and the surrounding people. And if it got into the water supply, uh, the surrounding cities. Joining us now, Lucas Tomlinson, who's covering the story. And I do want to talk about China and these balloons. But, Lucas, first things first, uh, where's this story going, do you think? Well, Brian, today the first representative from the Biden administration is coming to town. President Biden's EPA chief is coming at 1230. He's going to meet with some residents here in town. He's going to tour some of the damage. And as you just played at the top, uh, there's many, many residents, hundreds, thousands that are very angry and are demanding answers. Do you, you mentioned on television you don't smell anything in the air. Do you get the sense, I mean, that people are showering, drinking the water and listening to officials who say it's safe or they are they distrustful? Well, I'm standing talking to you right outside East Palestine High School, and the schools are open. And I spoke to some residents who were dropping off their kids, some parents, and they, some of them say they do feel safe. They said if the, if the schools are open and the kids can go to school, that makes them feel safe. However, you know, other, other parents were certainly concerned. They're taking precautions. Uh, I didn't get the sense that anyone is ready to drink out of the tap yet, Brian. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, so that's uh, how some residents. But it would be, be great to see people on there on the ground. Uh, last night, could you set the scene? 700 people showed up to a high school gym, but they did not get a representative, a representative from the rail line. Do you think they had a legitimate reason to fear for their safety? Well, there is a lot of angry people, and there's some tough people. You know, this is Eastern Ohio, Brian. You know, this this is not uh, Park Avenue. You know, there are some tough people here in East Ohio, right along the border uh, with Pennsylvania, and they demanded answers. And uh, for the railway company, they they said they feared for their safety. That's why they didn't want to show up. I thought it was notable on television on Fox and Friends what uh, some of the residents said that it, instead of it being a a town hall it felt more like a science fair. It sounded like a, you know, in the business, a dog and pony show. People did not get the sense that people got the answers they were hoping to, to get. All right. Uh, so the other big story that you've been all over is what's happening with these Chinese spy balloons. Yesterday, they got even more belligerent, uh, uh, vowing to retaliate for our downing of their balloons, uh, claiming days before that we sent about 10 across their border. And now they want to sanction some defense firms that are dealing with Taiwan in response to the six that we have sanctioned. Uh, Lucas, what's the difference that you know from well, the defense officials talking to you about the first balloon as compared to the other three we shot down? Well, let's start with this, Brian. The U.S. military, while they use surveillance balloons and certainly used them in Afghanistan, you saw some of them were actually pulled from the U.S. southern border with Mexico recently. The U.S. military does not take surveillance balloons and put them over uh, mainland China. Now, not to say the U.S. government, U.S. military doesn't spy on China. Of course, those RC-135s, those Air Force uh, spook planes, spy planes, whatever you want to call them, they're flying in the South China Sea probably as we speak, and they fly in international airspace. This is what countries do. 
Um, you know, you have Cobra Ball, of course, uh, different kind of planes that when North Korea is launching ballistic missiles. We have spy satellites overhead, of course, IR birds that are going to detect missile launches are also trying to uh, just look for signs of movement, count planes and troop movements in Russia, China, and of course, uh, over Ukraine. So you have to discount, officials say they have to discount a lot of what China's saying. That being said, uh, I don't think you can say it enough that the U.S. military uh, on February 4th shot down a 2,000-pound gigantic Chinese spy apparatus the size of three school buses that splashed down in the Atlantic. Now, what's notable is there's still uh, no definitive answer about what those U.S. Air Force jets shot down over the skies of Alaska, Canada, what do you and think? Huron. What do you think, Lucas? It looks like I, they're benign. They're getting indications. They're getting us ready to say they shot down weather balloons. I think there's a, the, the officials have told me there's a chance it could be Little Timmy's science experiment. But all jokes aside— uh, while they might look benign, it does show that the U.S. military has ratcheted up its approach. Uh, these were, uh, you know, they changed the radar, you know, NORAD, you know, fine-tuned the radar, so they're picking up a lot more in the skies. But as you heard from the audio from one of those Viper pilots, one of those F-16 pilots over Lake Huron, he didn't even know completely what he was shooting at. So for some of our listeners, that might be a little concerning that the military is blasting things out of the sky that it doesn't know. And, of course, you heard Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in Brussels at NATO headquarters say, that these objects were shot out of the sky out of an abundance of caution, Brian. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, at 450000 a shot? It's about 400000 a shot, probably a little less because, as Fox News we first reported, uh, these missiles actually aren't armed. There's no warheads on these A9X sidewinders. So they're essentially like a flying spear, an expensive spear, certainly well over a couple hundred thousand a pop. Uh, but it's also notable, of course, that that uh, F-16 over Lake Huron missed with mm-hmm. its first shot. There's some concern, hey, where did that missile go? But uh, for our listeners right now, they can rest assured there's not an armed missile uh, at the bottom of Lake Huron right Lu- now. Yeah, Lucas Tomlinson joining us now. We're hitting him too. His, uh, his beat with his on the China balloons as well as what's happening over in Palestine, Ohio. Senator John Kennedy got briefed at the highest level, said this, cut 17. President Biden, of course, has been president for two years. We've learned a few things. We've learned that under President Biden, the Taliban got Blackhawks and unvaccinated Americans got fired. We have learned that under the Biden administration, it seems to be focused with ferocious intensity on the single most important problem today facing our nature, our nation, which of course is gas stoves. Now we have learned in the past two weeks that China has been sending sophisticated spy balloons over the United States and our military installations for at least five years. And sometimes we have known about it and other times we haven't. So that's the latest, and we are wondering where the president's going to speak. Is Do you think he's feeling the pressure from his side, too? I think there's no question, Brian. Officials told me that as soon as today we could hear from President Biden speaking about these objects shot out of the sky. Going back to what Senator Kennedy just said, let's not forget another uh, story we first reported here at Fox that at one of these Chinese spy balloons actually crashed off the coast of Hawaii uh, four or five months ago. Uh, so the military has been tracking these things. In fact, it was a year ago when Raptors, F-22 Raptors out of Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii scrambled for uh, to, to go intercept the Chinese spy balloons. So this is something the military has been dealing with for years. And many people wondering, right. would the public know about it if one wasn't seen over the skies, the big sky yeah. in Montana? The answer is no, but I like the way you play 
played it. Lucas Tomlinson, thanks so much. Uh, when we come back, Mark Thiessen, then your calls, Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'm confident that the American people agree. We're ready. Ready to move past the stale ideas and faded names of the past. And we are more than ready for a new generation to lead us into the future. And with that, Donald Trump has some company on the Republican side. I expect Pence, Pompeo, and Scott to join him quickly. With me right now to join me right now is Mark Thiessen, former chief presidential speechwriter, <laughs> best-selling author, not running for president that we know of. I'm trying to get a second <laughs> source to prove that you're not running. The Washington Post columnist <laughs> and Fox News contributor. Mark, Nikki Haley's in. What changes? Um, you know, it's, it's somebody had to be first. And so she's first. And I thought she had a great speech. Uh, I thought it was really well delivered. I think the call for a new generation of leaders resonates uh, with the country, both with uh, Republicans and with swing voters. Um, I think, you know, I think she, she had a great line, something to the effect of that, like, it's not that our country is uh, past its prime, it's that our leaders are or something like that, which I think is, it says a lot. Uh, it was a great, good shot at wokeism and also uh, the uh, the uh, so shall we say the the mental challenges our current president is uh, is having. So yeah, I thought it was a good launch. Um, I don't I think the odds of her being the nominee are slim to none. I think she's probably running for vice president, um, which is uh, in the long run, which is probably her most likely place that she'll end up. But I think now that the uh, you know you need something to uh, to break the uh, break the. Uh, Break the mold, and now we've got now other people, as you said. I think other people are going to be getting in, and we're going to have a we're going to have a race. The Trump team came out immediately with opposition research. The real Nikki Haley. Minutes after she was in, uh, official campaign launch. The Trump campaign noted Haley supported Paul Ryan and his plan to uh, eliminate Medicare and turn it into a voucher system. Dun dun dun. Trump does his homework. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 reality is. Is that Medicare is going to be bankrupt in 2028? <laughs> so, so, I mean, Paul Ryan was, 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 and I don't think that anybody wanted to turn it into a voucher system. I want to think that there was. A, I mean, I worked in the Bush administration. We want to create private accounts uh, for people who chose to do that while allowing people to continue traditional Medicare. We're going to have to do something. We're either going to have to raise taxes, cut benefits, uh, or uh, or uh, do so, cut payments to hospitals. There's only three options at some point. And uh, it's great politics to attack people for that. Uh, he's playing the same same tactic Biden is doing. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that you want to uh, stop a fiscal crisis and figure out a solution to a fiscal crisis before uh, we end up with people not getting care is probably not not uh, not terribly responsible. All right. So, you know, you don't know what Donald Trump. Donald Trump is in, but he hasn't been doing much campaigning. I think just two appearances. And he's got some legal issues. I'm sure you've heard many of which are trumped up uh, in New York or a joke. But no here, pun intended. Yeah, uh, here is Nikki Haley, though, <laughs> calling out Trump, kind of. Cut 23. In the America I see, the permanent politician will finally retire. We'll have term limits for Congress. And mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. So I asked, I asked her a uh, half hour ago, 
how do you think Donald Trump would do in that competency test? And she's 76. He said he'll probably, you know, I'd be curious. He did good last time. But then yeah. she quickly went over to Joe Biden. You can't run and yeah. not go after the front runner. Yeah, no, I think she's well, first of all, you can. Uh, and I think uh, and I think you'll see that with some of the other candidates. I think really? a lot, what a lot of people. Yeah, I think what a lot of people are going to say is, and, and look, if I was advising DeSantis or any of these other guys who are who went to get in, say, look, Donald Trump was a great president. I love Donald Trump. I thought he did a great job as president. I just think that he's not positioned to win right now. Uh, and we need to we can't afford uh, four more years of Joe Biden. And we need some. We need a younger leader, a more experienced leader. And like you know, I, I as DeSantis said, you know, sort of subtle dig at Trump. I won my last election, right? Uh, but just when he attacks, just say, you know, he's a great leader. Because here's what's going. And this is, generally speaking, who who is going to be able to beat Donald Trump is somebody who is going to who is going to pick off or separate him from some of that MAGA wing of the party. Uh, people, you know, and and that's why I think DeSantis is the strongest position because MAGA world loves Donald Ron DeSantis, but he also appeals to swing voters. He also appeals to independents. He also appeals to some never Trumpers who never really liked never really liked Donald Trump. And somebody who could bridge all those different mm-hmm. constituencies within the GOP is best position. Now, now one thing that Trump did say apparently, according to some reports, is when Haley talked to him, he said, "You should run." And that's that's in his best interest. The more people get into this thing, the better for Donald Trump. That's what, because, that was the quote. He said, the more, the merrier. But also yeah. a couple of things. It just I, I think in, in theory, you're right, Mark, but I don't think it's going to play out that way. For example, Governor DeSantis is being called Meatball. That's going to be his nickname. Oh, my God. Right. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that. But so, that seems childish. You think so? Of course, yeah. it does. of course, it's so here's ridiculous. The here's, the, here's the problem that Donald Trump has with with Ron DeSantis. So I, I can tell you this: I, ha, I have a folk, I have a personal focus group. So my daughter plays on a hockey team with uh, in Philadelphia, and one of the families is, is is from is from is from Florida, and they are hardcore MAGA Trump supporters. The, the, her brother shows up to every game in a suit and tie and a red MAGA hat. I mean, these people they go to Trump rallies. They love Donald Trump. And when he attacked Ron DeSantis, they were so upset. The mother said to me, if he does that again, I'm done with him. And, and the, 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 it's not like Jeb. It's not like low-energy Jeb. It's not like uh, Whittle Marco. It's not that there were, the people, the MAGA world loves Ron DeSantis, is loyal to him. They think that, he's, that he's, uh, he's, uh, he shares their beliefs. And so it's not like attacking these other candidates to go after Ron DeSantis. It alienates a lot of people in his base who don't like it. And he's going to have a very hard time attacking Ron DeSantis when Ron DeSantis just delivered the biggest victory. You know, how did Trump's candidate do in the, in the 2020 midterms? Not too great. Ron DeSantis won by 20 points in, in, in Florida, turned Florida into a solid red state. He won independent. He won women. He won Hispanics. He did everything that Donald Trump didn't do in 2020. And so you, you, going after him when he's basically a more effective MAGA, uh, MAGA leader uh, is going to be very hard because a lot of Trump's loyal people who love Trump love DeSantis as well. All right. Uh, I think uh, a lot of stuff you said is right, and it's also unprecedented. We've never seen anything quite like this. A former yep. president loses election, goes back to run again, still got a degree of popularity. Yeah, um, I think you're Robert right. Cleveland did it. Very He's similar, the only other but president just ever to do that in American history, right? But the the thing that's different about it is Donald Trump is totally different than any other candidate we've ever had run for president. That uh, is very true. So, and then we're going <laughs> against another guy that's actually older at eighty two years old, 
who many people still aren't convinced is going to run again. So I want to get on. Uh, last thing is, uh, I want to get you on Ukraine. Uh, there, there are rumors between two hundred and four hundred thousand troops are amassing in Russia. I'm not sure how true that is, but their mm-hmm. uh, major offensive is taking place in the winter. Uh, but so far, we're seeing we're seeing the uh, Ukrainians fighting valiantly and holding off on this one town in particular called Volder here. Evidently, mm-hmm. they've killed. Uh, they basically wiped out an, an entire battalion. Only eight guys are left, and they were considered deserters. Uh, that, according to Ben Wallace, who is the U.K. defense minister, they say yep. 90, 97% of the Russian army is going to be deployed in the country. 97%. What are the stakes as most of the Western powers and China and some Asian powers are descending on Munich? Well, if uh, if uh, the Ukrainians can wipe out that military for us, then that that essentially removes the Russian threat to the to to, to NATO. Uh, so the more the more Russians they kill, the more uh, Russian uh, capabilities they take out, the better for us. What I don't understand is this, this president who claims to be uh, to uh, to uh, to support Zelensky, who says we'll do whatever it takes as long as it takes. Still is is we won't give them attackums. We won't give them F 16s We won't give them all everything we do. There was a story the other day that the Pentagon, the Pentagon is preparing to give them F 16s because every t- other time President said we're not going to give him a capability, he ends up doing it later, just six months later. It's like we're dragging this thing out, and and you know we it, it, let's just take the gloves off and get, and let the Ukrainians get, win this battle. Give them what they need, and it'll be over. Everyone says, well, we can't have this war go on forever. First of all, it's up to the Ukrainians how long they want to fight. You know, Zelensky, if, if Zelensky cut a deal with Putin to give him territory, he would be thrown out of office by the Ukrainian people. They don't want to do that. Um, so give them what they need. Help them win. Uh, I just think, you know, I hear Mark Levin. I know how you feel. I know how I feel. But there's a shrinking number of Republicans who feel that way. Uh, and they say the most ridiculous things. I mean, I saw one from a, a prominent uh, Republican who said uh, there are 200,000 Russian troops about to come in. You still think Zelensky shouldn't ask for peace? I mean, do you understand? They g- give up 20 percent of your country and then they'll just take the next country. A lot of people speaking from what uh, my old boss, Don Rumsfeld, used to call a pinnacle of near perfect ignorance. Uh, you know, the, the, here's, here's the reality. It, we are deploying the Reagan doctrine. I understand that after Afghanistan and Iraq, people don't want American troops to go around fighting uh, around the world, just like after the Vietnam War, when Reagan came into office, people didn't want to send American troops to fight fight the Soviets around the world. I get it. That's not what we're doing. What Reagan did was he found freedom fighters around the world who were willing to push back on Soviet expansionism themselves, who were willing to fight for their own country's liberation. All they wanted from us was weapons, training, Uh, financial support, diplomatic support, intelligence support, and they were willing to push back on our enemies for us and kill our enemies for us. It was it was one of the most brilliant innovations. It's literally what won the Cold War for us. And we're now in a new Cold War that Russia and China have locked arms to fight against us. And the first battlefront of that new Cold War is in Ukraine. And we're I mean, Joe Biden is no Ronald Reagan. He's, He's 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 dragging his feet. And these these conservatives are doing the same thing that Ted Kennedy and the liberal Democrats did to Reagan. They want, they want to cut defense. 
the Reagan defense buildup was was the, one of the greatest accomplishments any president has ever had. Now, now they're channeling their inner Ted Kennedy and wanting to cut defense. They want to cut aid to Ukraine, just like the Democrats wanted to cut aid to the Nicaraguan Contras in the 1980s. Why are conservatives acting more like Ted Kennedy than Ronald Reagan? That's what I don't understand. I know. You know, obviously, Senator Lindsey Graham doesn't feel that way and some others. I think they get it. If you want to avoid World War III, make sure Ukraine is successful. That's the only and, way to avoid it. And the, the reason there's a war in Ukraine right now is because of a failure of deterrence, because of the weakness in Afghanistan, the withdrawal that tempted Putin to do that. If you want a war in ta- over Taiwan, have a, failure, have a failure in Ukraine. It's the perfect way to do it. You, if we want to deter China from invading, uh, from, from, uh, from invading Taiwan, and, and that's a war that we will have to fight, that it will be American troops that are engaged in that. If you want to stop that and deter the Chinese, we better damn well win in Ukraine. Khodorkovsky, the former oligarch who was jailed for 10 years by Putin, said the exact same thing, and he's going to be one of the guest speakers in Munich this week. Uh, Amen. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Take care, Brian. You got it. one 408 So when we come back, I'll be able to take some calls for the first time and give you a chance to vent uh, from Ohio to the balloon scandal to what the vice president just said about China, to what we just talked about Ukraine one year later, to everything on your mind, to 2024 and the field beginning to fill out. Your your thoughts are on our show next. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. My biggest concerns, my biggest concerns is ultimately the drinking water, the effects of the drinking water. I feel like they haven't been truthful with us. I just worry about especially the kids, the young mothers, the pregnant mothers. The biggest concern that I have is with dioxins. Nobody's even talking about dioxins, in, period. No kidding. Uh, I can't believe what's going on right now. Tyler, listen, WXJB. Hey, Tyler. Hey, good morning, Brian. How you doing? Good. That's good. I just want to open up with saying that uh, my daughter and I, she's 25, we consider you and Fox is, is real family. Brett by his Thank son you. and all this, it's really a pleasure to, to actually know you people. I appreciate that. And, and that's when, when we walk around, uh, we just feel not like, uh, you know, we feel like we know everybody. And you guys feel like you know us because we're allowed to be ourselves on the air. And actually, in reality, you do. As far as the spill, these people that say the water's safe and drink yourself, I want to see them stand on stage and drink like a quarter of this themselves. You know, they can't be trusted. It's just like at 9-11, Christine Todd Whitman, she said that uh, it was safe over there. You know how many 40-year-olds had brain cancer just a few years later? Oh, believe me, I know. I mean, the number's almost doubled in terms of casualties uh, since 9-11. So, Tyler, if I, I'm just outraged for these people of Ohio, and I just wonder if there were a group of minorities and mostly Democrats, how often Joe Biden would be there and how many times the Secretary of Transportation would have shown up there. I think it's a major difference. They look at it as a state, they're a Republican, and they look at it a working-class white area. So rather than go just talking about uh, racism, they have to just talk about being responsible and they don't want to do it. And for this company not to show up because they felt threatened, there's a police force there. They wouldn't have felt threatened. They don't want the optics of being yelled at by, de- by angry residents of the area who have been basically poisoned. Greg in Arizona. Hey, Greg. 
Yeah, it's a little frustrating listening to you and Marquise and talk about how you can't believe people don't come along with this Ukraine thing. you got to consider the sources. First of all, Lindsey Graham, I don't know what happened to the word shame, but it doesn't exist. That guy putting his face on TV ever again. It's like putting Sam Bankman Freed on there having a discussion about finance. He just doesn't have it. The guy wanted open borders here, for crying out loud. When? Zelensky. He doesn't want open. He never wanted open borders. I follow. Well, let's like just talk about Ukraine. Ago. Craig, just, you, tell me, okay, you tell me what you want to do about Ukraine. Okay, but you're telling me that Lindsey Graham said go, and he wants to go. I don't think the guy has any Okay, uh, no, okay forget no, Lindsey Graham. I, I, I believe that this, the, the best way to prevent World War III is to do okay. everything to allow the Ukrainians to be successful because Moldova is already being infiltrated. Georgia is going to be finished off. And the message to China is go for Taiwan. You think I'm wrong. And that's okay. No, I, but, don't, I don't think you're wrong. I just wish we had real actors involved in this that had the, your mental interests at heart. I don't believe it. The same clowns that are running the, the nightmare in Ohio are the same clowns that are telling us this needs to happen or telling us exactly what's happening over there. And maybe there is firsthand accounts of horrors that are going on over there. I get it. But that, I don't think Zelensky's government it, itself has the right interest. There's corruption. You guys got it on a laptop. That's all over the place. And this is the same bunch of clowns here in the military that are telling us all this. Who left our boys and girls over there in Afghanistan and throwing money at it and throwing stuff at it? Okay, Great. maybe, maybe. But at the end of the day, you know what happens? I'm from a military family. They throw boys Great. and girls at it. That's just you, a You've said of a lot of things that I agree with. But there's some other things that uh, I wanted a challenge. One of which, whatever you think about Zelensky, what he has done in a year with over th- 300 calls to world leaders, 38 appearances, different parliaments, rallying his people, giving messages to men and women on the front line, actually visiting them online, be able to take a fractured political process and get everybody from Poroshenko to Klitschko on the same page and get this fighting force so resourceful they are making things work that we never thought were possible with the weapons we're giving them. They are making history on the battlefield. They are outfighting the Russians. Now, the other things about corruption, the guy's making efforts to get rid, you know, to, to, to fix it. I think, he, I think he's a very inspirational guy that stepped up to the moment. I think Ukraine's got problems, but it was beginning to straighten out when they were invaded. So, but a lot of stuff and a lot of reservations. By the way, Joe Biden's running this? Absolutely. Mark Thiessen was 100% right. They're late on everything. They're late on the high Mars. They were late with the tanks. Uh, they're, now they're going. They're thinking about the F-15s. It's been over a year, but we can't. They can't afford to lose there, and we got to replenish. As we distribute, we have to replenish. We cannot cut defense. But a lot of your concerns are legitimate, and I agree with. And Lindsey Graham is pretty strong on this, and he was just as critical. He was just as critical of the Biden administration slow walking these weapons. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Excited to have George P. Bush in studio in about a half hour. And Congressman Michael Waltz is standing by with the House Armed Services Committee uh, you know, out of Florida. Represents the great people of Jacksonville and St. Augustine. Uh, so he'll be with us in a matter of moments. Today is... A lot going on. I mean, just to think uh, today, well, we know the rare bipartisanship, Graham and Blumenthal, will hold a press conference on legislation labeling the Russian Wagner Group a, a terrorist organization. Absolutely. They're creating havoc in Ukraine, and they're creating havoc in Africa, and who knows where else. 
Uh, also, Mike Pence is making a big speech today at the Coolidge and American Project Conference. You could say it's for his book, but I think it's more about him running for president. Um, and we'll find out what's going on. Also, the president's going to end uh, the and the first lady will host a screening of Till, the brand new movie that is now out. That's exciting for them at seven o'clock. People do still watch the movies. Let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. For a strong America, for a proud America, I am running for president of the United States of America. And just like that, Nikki Haley joins Donald Trump on the Republican side to run for the 2024 nomination. How do you think she'll do? We'll discuss it. Number two. Just makes... The story get worse and worse for the Biden administration because it wasn't as if the sneaky Chinese got this balloon past our radar and suddenly it appeared over our missile silos in Montana. They've been watching this balloon for weeks. Yep, got a huge problem with this. China continues to throw out threats and attacks for our shooting down of their balloon, their surveillance device, their surveillance ship. They're calling it a weather balloon and they promise retaliation. Unbelievable. Number one. I can't believe, you know, right before I came on, DeWine went, wasn't it just yesterday they were told not to drink the water? Yes. Now today they're told you can drink the water? This is just turning into one nightmare, if you ask me. No question. Aaron Brockovich last night. Palestine, uh, Palestine residents are steaming because guess what? The owner of that railroad that poured toxic uh, gases into their city, into their town when it derailed, did not show up at a town hall yesterday. That is unacceptable. With me right now is Congressman Michael Waltz. Congressman, uh, I know this is not directly affecting you. It's Ohio. It's not Florida. But I'm sure you've been watching what's going on right now. The only thing that's consistent is we don't see any Biden officials there at all, including the Secretary of Transportation. Yeah, that's right. And I, look, I think this isn't just an Ohio story. It's a it's a national story. Uh, uh, you know, number one, it's the state of our infrastructure uh, and how this thing derailed in the first place. Remember, the Democrats passed over a trillion dollars in infrastructure spending, but most of it was what they called social infrastructure, not actual roads, bridges, train tracks, ports, you know, the things that the things that we really need. But, Brian, you know, we have seen crisis after crisis under Democrat leadership going back under Obama, whether it was the Flint-led crisis in Michigan, whether it was the Gold King mine spill in Colorado that the EPA actually caused, and this obsession with emissions only. Uh, and I just think we're taking our eye off the ball when it comes to you know, the actual cleanliness and safety uh, uh, for our environment. And, and with the focus on emissions, if you look at the increase that you're going to need in mining uh, and these types of minerals, 6,000 times the current levels of lithium uh, around the world to reach some of the yeah. uh, electrification goals. You know what? I want to take some of these leaders to a mine in the Congo run by the Chinese with 12-year-old Congolese boys getting shoved down into these holes. From a human rights standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, it's atrocious. But all of that kind of gets ignored as long as, you know, I guess we just drive towards EV. And I think they got to take all of this into account. And then finally, you're right. Nobody's present. It's basic leadership. When you have a crisis, you get on the scene. And from a reassurance standpoint, Buttigieg, 
should be spending some nights in the hotels, drinking the water. You know, if the EPA says it's safe, then you know what? I'm standing right here with the head of the EPA, and uh, and we're going to share in this burden with you. But that's that's not what we're getting here. I mean, this is uh, it. You don't have to be a train. People are scared. You don't have to be a train expert. Number one, the toxic chemicals, 10 of the cars were full of it. Uh, out of the 50, so then they didn't get labeled as a hazardous uh, a hazardous caravan or whatever it's called, so no one even knew about it. And I think it's very mellow governor, Republican governor, and Bill Johnson, a Air Force officer, is sitting there basically saying everything's fine. So I don't get it. Jot down your questions and I'll get it to the people who run the train. That's not an answer. Meanwhile, what happened? What? The, the preliminary report suggested a wheel bearing was in the final stage of overheat failure just moments before the derailment. It looks like the axle broke. Yeah, right. And that goes to that goes to safety maintenance on uh, Norfolk Southern, right? If it yeah. wasn't if it wasn't the condition of the track, it goes squarely on the company. I will say, in in my colleague Bill Johnson's uh, defense, at least he's there at the town halls, at the sites, taking questions. Sure. Breathing the air, you know, drinking the water along with everybody else, but no one from the administration is. But so, yet they want to tell everybody it's fine. So please uh, tell me what's going on with China and the rhetoric that's uh, revolving around it. And I talked to Josh Rogan yesterday. As you know, he's got great sources, Washington Post columnist. Yep. Uh, yep. And he says that we look weak. He says there's no way that President Xi didn't know exactly what was going on. And our answer uh, not and, and uh, being... Uh, uh, coming out and saying we should not affect relations, according to our vice president, to paraphrase, and the president say we don't consider it a major breach, and allowing it to transverse the country gives the rest of the world the sense that we look weak in China's eyes. Well, that, no, that's absolutely right, Brian, and it fits into their global propaganda campaign, and you could see it in the Global Times and all of their other propaganda channels, that yet one more bit of evidence from their perspective, what they're putting out, that America's in the de- in decline. It's a declining power, uh, not only along with America, uh, with America, but democracy. It's too fractious. It's too difficult. Uh, and oh, by the way, capitalism. Uh, that the the future of the world is is socialism with Chinese characteristics and their techno surveillance state of one party rule, uh, and continuing to look weak. Whether it was on the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, whether it was, you know, the failed deterrence uh, with Russia and Ukraine will invite aggression from our adversaries. And, you know, at the end of the day, Brian, we tracked this thing all the way along. Uh, this wasn't a this wasn't a military hardware hardware failure. It was a failure of policy uh, in having clear criteria. I still don't know or have answers on how we allow a massive surveillance platform to traverse our airspace, but then we start shooting down unknown objects. As a, as a Green Beret, if one of my if one of my soldiers started shooting down or shooting at unidentified objects, uh, they would have been court-martialed. And so it's uh, we still don't get answers on what our shoot-down criteria are. If something's interfering with civilian aircraft, does that mean if those unidentified objects had been at sixty thousand feet instead of forty, that we would have let it go? Uh, or if it had been large enough that it causes casualties on the ground, that we just let it, that we just give it a free pass. It just, it doesn't make sense. Now apparently the White House has a working group to figure out what our policy is. Uh, how about the fact that they have a fleet of balloons that are near space that will actually be a, a fall at the very least a failsafe should satellites go down? They'll have a way That's to right. surveil. 
and they've been doing it now for the last five years. They actually have, if I don't believe the New York Times, they made this announcement in 2019 that they had these fleet of balloons. They were happy about it. Well, and, and you raise a great point, Brian, in that in all of our war games, uh, and I pray it never comes to this, but in all of our war games, the first shots are fired in cyberspace and actually in space. Uh, and once you start uh, knocking down satellites, the debris will knock down all kinds of others and will take our networks offline. And what the Chinese essentially have been testing is a backup plan. That's what it seems. That's what it seems to be. So we have uh, Senator Marshall, Senator uh, Sullivan. We have Senator Blumenthal, Senator Tester, all saying the president should come out and speak. Uh, but at least he, he should say something. I think part of it is the embarrassment of shooting down what might be our own balloons or might be some car sales balloon that might be out there. You know, we lost the one in Montana. We shoot it down. It goes down in Michigan like Euron, one the Yukon. So uh, another one uh, off the coast, I think, of Alaska. And right. these might all just be space. It might just be space junk. Yeah, sky debris so is that or whatever. Why, yeah, is that why they don't want to make the calling it? But is that well, why they don't want to talk? The other piece is, I mean, that we're asking of the military is, is if you're dialing, tuning in your radars and your sensors, getting them pointed in the right direction, the right sensitivity. Why did we only get those three? Why aren't we seeing a, a whole other slew of different types of junk? Have they changed the criteria again? Now we're not going to shoot down unidentified objects. Uh, so I just want some consistency on how and what the criteria are to defend America's airspace. And if we have gaps, as apparently we did in near space, you know, above where aircraft fly and below where satellites fly, why aren't they coming to Congress saying this is what we need to acquire, this is what we need to procure? Uh, I, I think they're still trying to figure it all out, Brian, but in terms of the president not speaking, it just – Look, the, the, a, an administration takes on the culture and the leadership characterization, characters of, of its leader. And just like we're not seeing Buttigieg on the scene, right. you name the crisis, railroad strike, port, uh, port issues and supply chain issues, and now this derailment, same, I think they're, take, they're adopting the characteristics of the commander-in-chief. China is imposing sanctions on Lockheed Martin, Raytheon in retaliation for the, for the U.S. putting sanctions on six companies – that were a, yeah. were a part of uh, of this surveillance ship or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, well, look, I mean, what we know, and this is from this uh, surveillance craft that have American components, Iranian drones uh, that have that are shot down over Ukraine that have American components. There's an entire black market out there of circuit boards. Uh, of all types of parts that go into these uh, sophisticated uh, sophisticated surveillance apparatus, and we've got to crack down. We've got to bring our supply chains home. We have to protect what we have, uh, and that's something we're working hard on in the, in the Defense Department, yes, in the Armed Services Committee. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Anytime the, the American companies are out of China, I'm happy. Uh, evidently, they're upset because we're supplying uh, Raytheon, in particular, and Lockheed Martin are supplying weapons to Taiwan. So I'm looking right. at Kordakovsky today, the former oligarch who was jailed for 10 years by Vladimir Putin. And he says that if Ukraine doesn't win and Russia's perceived to have won, this will start a world war. And it's going to start with China. That it is so important that Ukraine prevail here. Do you think people understand that, especially in your party, Michael Waltz? 
Well, look, I think people see a very large price tag. Uh, they see, um, they've seen kind of a shoulder shrug when it comes to oversight. Uh, and, and they haven't seen, you know, really holding the Europeans, particularly the Germans and the French, not talking about the Eastern Europeans who are directly threatened, um, accountable. I mean, look, and, and, and that, that gives people a lot of questions. I mean, we've got Kamala Harris is going over the Munich Security Conference, the largest security conference of European leaders, prime ministers, foreign ministers. Uh, and I don't expect to hear uh, a f or see a finger in the chest of these European leaders telling them they have to step up. Uh, the Germans haven't delivered a fraction of what they've actually promised. Uh, and so I think if they would do that uh, and demonstrate to the American people that these these dollars and this equipment are going, mm -hmm. I think they certainly buy where we intend it to. Mm -hmm. They certainly buy into the proposition we can't let Putin reconstitute the old Soviet Union and suck us into a war with NATO. Uh, but those other pieces got to be in place, Brian, and I just don't think it's too heavy of a lift for the administration to do that. Hold the Europeans <clears> accountable. <throat> assure us that our stockpiles aren't going below where we need and provide appropriate oversight of where this stuff is going and give the taxpayer some some assurance. Yeah, I would Especially also after 20 years of of the Middle East wars and leaving billions of dollars behind for the Taliban. It's not uh, a great track record. No, it's a terrible one. And also, I think it's terrible that we're not pressuring India to stop buying Russian oil and continuing to trade at a dizzying rate with Russia. I mean, are you China's kidding? Up China is up 50% from a year ago, and do you know how much Germany's trade has decreased, according to the Wall Street Journal? 3%. So once again, I think a lot of my constituents feel like America – I mean it's the right thing to do, but why is America taking so much of this burden? And I think those are fair questions to ask. Wait a second. Germany's only decreased trade with Russia 3%? According to, the, according to an analysis of the Wall Street Journal. I thought they cut of, off all uh, trade with trade Russia. Uh, uh, but they still have they still have uh, all types of mineral exports, mining, coal. Uh, I mean, ironically, Germany is going back to coal after a headlong charge, you know, with its own Green New Deal. So there's all kinds of other things uh, that um, that that are still going on. So these sanctions, you know, have more holes than Swiss cheese. Michael Waltz, uh, thanks so much, Congressman. Appreciate it. Okay. Talk to you soon. one 866 I'll come back and take your calls. And then welcome in George P. Bush. Uh, we have a lot to go over, a lot to discuss. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. one 866 George P. Bush is going to be joining me in studio shortly. I have some time just to us. Uh, let's go to the phones. Wade, listen on WOKV in beautiful Jacksonville. Hey, Wade. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I always uh, take the long way to work every day to catch a little bit more of your show. So I love it. Thank you. Hey, I, I, I have enough humility to admit that uh, I'm not as smart as you at, at most of any of this, but I, I'm one of those that this war in Ukraine, I, I struggle a little bit with, um, particularly because maybe it's selfish on my part, but, you know, I've got two special needs kids myself, took four years to get into any type of program for 
you know, autism because they're perpetually underfunded. It seems like every program at home that, that, you know, maybe we could utilize and do better at, it's always broke. And I, I just struggle a bit with, well, if we don't do this, World War III may happen. And I'm watching this, this ragtag army from, from Russia not be able to in, in any way make a lot of progress. So I'm like, how could they possibly withstand World War III? And how do I know that much of our weapons, like in Afghanistan, isn't eventually falling in the hands of Russia anyway? And are we going to strengthen them by them potentially? I just don't know where the money, the weapons are going. There's two things. I think we agree on one thing. The mission, you you understand the the necessity for the mission. You don't like the execution and don't trust after the Afghanistan debacle and the way this administration performed that it's being, uh, they were doing this in a streamlined way. There should be, evidently Deloitte is an audit company. They are evidently following some of the uh, the weapons trail to make sure they're getting to the right place. I want to see more uh, more uh, people stand behind what we're doing, find out the weapons getting to the right people. But if but the objective I 100% agree with. Uh, but, but how they're doing it, piecemealing, giving them the weapons, I find it unbelievably frustrating. But the way the Ukrainians fight and have held off the Russians for a year plus, uh, it's absolutely necessary they're successful. Uh, because, believe me, there's, there's evil people in this world that want to make sure we lose. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. Uh, George P. Bush in studio. I'm his pregame show to, uh, to I guess, outnumbered. And then we get, you're going to be on with me over the weekend uh, on uh, One Nation, uh, the former land commissioner over in Texas. You were uh, en route to becoming the next attorney general, did not get the nomination. Now you're in, the private, uh, in private practice. George, great to see you. Great to see you, too. Glad with, to see where the sausage is made. Really? I mean, you, you did come to radio before, right after you served in the military. You came by with your wife. We were on a different floor, different studio. Do you happen to remember that? I don't, actually. This, right. this seems like a much more updated, uh, sophisticated. This is nice. Yeah, we have flat screens instead of tube TVs. So that yeah. is, uh, we definitely feel like this is brand new. You were just out of the military. I remember you thinking to yourself, I thought you were going to run. I think it was for a land commission the first time. So what's it like being out of office right now? It's a little bit of an out-of-body experience, to be honest with you, Brian, because you feel the weight of the state of Texas, which is big, right, on your shoulders every single day. And my body clock after four legislative sessions reminds me that we're in session now. And so to transition from public life to private has been, um, you know, a change, but I'm still just as passionate and excited about the issues that drive our conservative movement forward. And so I'm excited about the upcoming election cycle, uh, changing uh, the levers of power in the Senate and also the White House and, and helping out where, wherever I possibly can in the conservative movement. But you're still using your law degree. So tell everyone what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to announce that I'm partnering with Michael Best. We're uh, a national law firm, full service. We've got great Republicans like Reince Priebus, the former RNC chair and chief of staff to President Trump that are at the helm and really excited to expand the practice in Texas where we take on complicated challenges for clients. So even though I'm not Serving the people of Texas, all 29 million, uh, I get to serve clients every single day, which has been fun. So as, as much success as, as your family has had, you guys all lose election once in a while. It happens to everybody. Your dad <laughs> lost uh, you, for governorship and went back and got it, right? 
uh, George, uh, your your grandfather lost his Senate bid. I remember so twice. This, uh, twice. Uh, he ended up okay. You know, vice president, president, CIA director, and everything. So for you, how did you handle not getting that nomination uh, for AG? Well, I'll also add my great-grandfather, Prescott Bush, lost the first time he ran as well. And I'm the only Bush to have won my first race. But I was reminded by George W. after I lost, hey, don't worry, every Bush has lost at least once uh, in their political career. So, you know, I, what I've learned from the experience, Brian, is is that everybody fails. You don't win every single time. And how you bounce back, how you recover is is really a true judge of your character. And so, like I said, I mean, I still have a heart for service. I'm passionate about these issues. And I want to serve in some capacity, and we'll see what God has in plan. I, I believe that there's a plan for us all. And so what I've learned in my family is just to work hard every single day, and we'll see what opportunities present itself down the road. You have a lot of area of expertise, but two, immigration. You guys were building your own wall in Texas. And number two is uh, oil and gas, and I've actually tapped into both of you twice for that. Uh, first, let's talk about immigration. We have a delegation going down to the border today in Tucson sector where they find the, the bulk of the fentanyl coming through. When you see the dramatic change at our border, do you believe this is intentional or is it just because this president wanted to do the opposite of Trump? I think it's to build a new political constituency or what he perceives to be a new one. And and we've seen this in the past uh, during the Obama days with an unconstitutional executive order for the, the Dreamers Act. Um, and Biden, in order to appease to this base for the next reelect, I, I think is trying to build a, a new constituency. But as we saw, Brian, in South Texas with uh, second, third generation Hispanics in these communities that abide by the legal immigration process, they're more upset than most communities around our country on this immigration issue. And so when you look at the bill that Texans are paying, especially in South Texas, every single day on law enforcement, on health care, the list goes on. And look, we're a compassionate people. We're a compassionate state, as is New Mexico, Arizona, California. But this goes above and beyond politics. We need to actually put into action items that are going to stop this flow, this historic flow of illegal immigration. But there's a couple of things going on. There's a lot going on. But in particular, he's wrong to think that by bringing in illegal immigrants and naturalizing them somehow, that they're going to be his voters. The only thing pretty consistent is every cycle over the last few years, losing more and more of the Hispanic vote. And I think, in my humble opinion, that's why Hugo Chavez is Hugo Chavez, Cesar Chavez's bust is on his desk. He saw that he beat Trump with less of the Hispanic vote. Trump got more and more and more, and we saw the last cycle, too. So this is not working because the American Hispanic community is not happy about this. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, you know, second-generation Mexican-American myself. My mother went through the legal immigration process. And as a country, we need to honor those that are waiting in line and going through the, the normal procedure. But right now— it is much easier to come here illegally than legally, and this president has set forth executive orders such as removing Title 42 or attempting to thank goodness for the judiciary and intervening right. and keeping it in place. But he is basically unilaterally taking away the remaining tools that the Border Patrol has in their possession to keep people at bay. And then not to mention the Mexican government needs to do their job to address this issue. There, you know, there's a lot of evidence out there that shows that they were hoping for a Biden election so that they could pass on this problem. They didn't to the like taxpayer. remain in Mexico. No, absolutely not. And, you know, it was President Trump who passed the bilateral agreements with the Northern Triangle countries that helped to expedite asylees. But Congress needs to act and close these huge gaping loopholes in asylum law that allows anybody from virtually 
most parts of this world to come to our country, get a notice to appear. And as we know, Brian, they're blending into the shadows, not showing up for immigration court hearings and and violating the process, which is an affront to those communities that come here legally and do it the right way. So they, they say that the now want countries from Venezuela, Haiti, um, a couple of others to apply in the country they're in. And then you fill out this form or go on an app and then they'll fly in 30,000 a month. How crazy is that? And they said right now people crossing that has decreased, but it just shows they're getting, we're flying them in. Yeah, and we're overwhelmed. I mean, Brian, maybe on our next trip we should go to El Paso and, and Fort Bliss where you may remember the Haitian migrant caravan that came up. It was in excess of about 10,000 asylees. They were immediately transported to El Paso. And anytime you're flying out of El Paso to, say, DFW or another large uh, city that that is connected, you'll find asylees getting on the plane and going to um, a location of their their uh, of their desire. And it's you and I, the taxpayer, that are picking up this bill. And so, you know, when more Americans are aware of this issue, they're more infuriated. But for me, as a Texan, when watching the State of the Union, it was a 73-minute speech, and he devoted 70 seconds to this issue. And whether it's Chinese surveillance or immigration. This is an issue of national security. It's intertwined with so many different issues for the U.S. taxpayer. And it's frustrating because as Texans, we're absorbing most of this bill. And this governor, Governor yeah. Abbott, is doing what he can every single day to just raise this awareness. And, you know, 2024 couldn't come soon enough. So our Arbador evidently is emptying his prisons. Uh, if you could believe this latest report, that he's emptying his prisons. And that explains why 98, uh, 98 people have been found to be on the FBI most wanted list on the FBI watch list coming across the border when in years past there's been one or two. Did you know this? Did you Do you feel as though that's been vir- virtually verified? Well, I haven't been able to verify that. Uh, definitely want to talk to my friends with the Border Patrol Union, but not surprised because of the undue influence of cartels in profiting from this with a Mexican government that clearly is afraid of the influence of the cartels, particularly in northern Mexico. But essentially, it's a profit-making supply chain that's been created by the current policy that we have. And until we get serious, we can't just have platitudes saying, please do not come. We need actual action on the border. We need to, as Chip Roy, a congressman out of Texas, has recommended designating cartels as terrorist organizations, which would unleash so many federal resources to get serious about this, similar to what we did with the Colombian drug cartels in, in the 80s and 90s. Effectively. They're flying drones at the border to see where the soft spots are in our uh, in our security. Unbelievable. We've already captured the cartels doing that, and they feel free to do it. So one of the things that's happening is a lot of the, the El Paso mayor, and now we're seeing this in Colorado and other places, are busing these illegal immigrants to places like where I'm at now, in New York, where we're at. Uh, and they're dropped off. They say there's got 43,000 here, about 12,000 to come from Texas. So when Governor DeSantis saw some of them being dropped in Jacksonville and other places, he shipped them over to Martha's Vineyard famously and said, you deal with them. And they thought that was the most horrible thing. So I asked your dad, would he have done that if he was governor? Um, oh, this is just about Disney. But your dad says he wouldn't have done it because it cost taxpayer dollars. Um do you agree? How do you feel about what Ron DeSantis did in Texas, shipping them to Martha's Vineyard? Well, I agree with Governor App. He was actually the first one to do this because my viewpoint is to educate the rest of the country on this issue is to have the issue on their doorstep. And when New Yorkers, when folks in Chicago and Washington, D.C. start saying, Mr. President, we need some help, 
finally we're getting some consensus from the other side of the aisle on the issue. So Mayor Adams comes down to uh, El Paso. At least he saw the real He came down to the border. border, Yeah. And he's actually taking time out of his busy schedule to learn more on the issue and potentially work with our side to lobby the president of the United States because that's going to – that's ultimately how this is going to work. Or suddenly you know, the president's going to say politically maybe, hey, I need to tighten the reins a little bit on this issue uh, to, to placate the, uh, the moderates that he's going to try to reach out to and in independent voters. But, um, but in the meantime, you know, I'm for any idea, any governor stepping forward and using whatever mechanism possible. Um, when I ran, I advocated that under our state constitution, and it was Attorney General Bronovich with the original idea in Arizona to assert state constitutional authority to bring in state National Guard and state guard to to do the job that the federal government's unwilling to do. But what do so, you do when you round them up? Do you put them in your Texas prison? Do you put them in a Phoenix uh, in a Arizona prison? In a non-federal, correct. You put them in a state facility, or in Texas, what we've done is put them in county facilities. But as you can imagine, Brian, the the over when you're talking about numbers of, I think in December it was 230,000 illegals on a monthly basis, which was an all-time record. Um, you know, with Texas roughly representing half of that number. So if you're talking about Verde County and others, they're totally overwhelmed where they only have capacity for maybe 1,000 or 2,000. So it's a quick processing. Um, you know, states are doing what they can, and that's what I love about executives at the state level is that they're responding to action quicker than what the federal government's willing to do. Former um, uh, the George P. Bush is here. Uh, he is a former land um, land commissioner over at in Texas. He is uh, here. He's going to be on Outnumbered. He's going to be on with us over the weekend on One Nation. Uh, we're going to talk 2024 when we come back on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Disney was one of the people that took those positions and condemned the bill from pressure they say from their employees. Can you talk about the battle as that unfolded? And what were you thinking? Because you know the importance of Disney to Florida and to Orlando. Look, 80,000 employees. um, We don't have an income tax because people go to Disney. Our sales tax revenues are paid for by 20% of the sales tax revenue, more or less, are paid for by visitors. So it's hugely important. So I think it's important to, to recognize how important Disney is to the state, but also take a stand against these woke employees that temporarily were kind of running the asylum there. As much as Governor, uh, Governor Jeb Bush is a fan of Governor Ron DeSantis, he did not agree with the with the Disney uh, taking on Disney taking away their autonomous status. With me in studio, George P. Bush. George, I know you do crisis communications with this law firm you're in right now. Who's right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, he did say take a stand, and that's the role of a governor on it. Um, and ultimately, it'll be the legislature that decides to take away that protective status. And honestly, as a Texan, I wasn't even tracking that they had this legal protection. Uh, in a state like Texas in Florida. But what I can share with you in Texas and what the ledge is doing and I agree with is to say that financial institutions that don't do business with oil and gas companies shouldn't have the right to do business with the state of Texas. And there are so many examples where governors every day are faced with the example of economic development on one hand, 
But when you have corporate leadership that have decided to take on dangerous ideas and try to indoctrinate, say, children or impose their own political beliefs on their employees and um, that disagree with the ideas of our legislature, that's a problem. And the governor, as the leader of a state, needs to, at minimum, you know, raise that to the public. And so um, so the governor is is correct on that. And I agree with Abbott on what he's doing for our arguably most important industry, the oil and gas industry. So you think Ron DeSantis was right to go after Disney? We've never seen anything like that. And he ain't doubling and tripling down. I thought Bob Iger would just do a peace deal and say, sorry about this. The other guy's gone. But they haven't turned the page yet. I'm a believer in sitting down with the opposing side before getting into a war of words and a letter writing campaign. And so, you know, maybe the governor attempted that. I'm not sure. Uh, But at least in Texas, you know, we've attempted that where we don't get responses back on why exactly overnight uh, banks like Citibank have decided overnight they're not going to lend to oil and gas entrepreneurs. When did uh, that start? So that started uh, in the wake of COVID. And I remember hearing anecdotally around the time that you came down to the Permian Basin where a lot of wildcatters and independent producers said, George, you know, some of these larger banks in New York have decided – because of ESG principles, are going to totally divest of their loan portfolios and backing out of deals that were actually signed. And and to further define this, even though it's a great investment and you might, they might deem it as a positive thing for the, anybody's portfolio, Mr. Mrs. Johnson down the block or a major corporation, they're saying, we don't want to be part of oil and gas as if it's bad. We want to be part of a rare earth or something else, some type of woke principle. So we're stopping we're stopping going for uh, – this is not capitalistic behavior. So the West Virginia attorney general and others have combined to say if you don't want to do this, then you're not allowed to do business here. Totally. And has, have the bankers come back and say, OK, we'll, we'll amend our practice? Because I know Black, uh, Blackstone came out and said – no, we, we, BlackRock came out and said, no, we, we never said we we're going to do that, which is not true. Yeah. No, I haven't seen any conciliation from their side to to reach out to the legislature. And maybe they're, you know, advocating before um, the relevant bodies and committees to to come up with a solution. But to me, it's very simple. It's about, um, as you said, the pensioners in Texas. It's about the entrepreneurs that rely upon uh, debt financing to get deals done. And, you know, Texas is known as an entrepreneurial free market state. Uh, so, you know, it's right for the government to, including the governor, to advocate the way that he has on this issue. 2024, how many candidates do you think will be on that debate stage six months from now? <laughs> right now we got two. Well, you know, I had a chance and I mentioned one of my partners is is Reince Primus, a former chairman of the Republican Party. And he reminded us last night that party rules are such that you have to have over 10 percent in the polls. So if that rule still holds and maybe I'm wrong, maybe – um, you know, I got that fact wrong. The the, the actual debate platform will ve- be very limited. Uh, some have even advocated having a minimum amount of, of campaign funds available to just show strength of uh, longevity in a long-term campaign. But to the extent that we can kind of tighten the conversation would benefit the Republican Party and uh, as we, you know, get down to the nitty-gritty in these early primaries. Do you expect DeSantis to get in, Pompeo and Tim Scott? Of those three, what do you, who's most likely? I think all of them. I mean, I, Pence I really too? I, I think um, I think Vice President Pence is in there. That's what I'm hearing. I won't uh, attribute um, relationships that that are involved in that effort. Um, you know, being in Texas, since we are arguably the largest donor to Republican Party causes in the country, you know, we'd see a lot of these aspirational candidates, you know, coming, at to Austin. Reagan. <laughs> coming all over the state and uh, especially when oil's over 80 bucks. Right. Um, but, you know, when um, you see a lot of the candidates making those 
those uh, propositions, you know that there's, there's, there's a lot of candidates coming. We're going to watch you at uh, noon on Outnumber. Then we'll see you over the weekend, 8 o'clock on One Nation. Thanks, George P. Thank you. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. We're going to hear from Lee Zeldin shortly, the former New York uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate. Uh, got 47% of the vote. And Daniel Billack. Uh, he is a member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine and former chief investment advisor to the prime minister, uh, Zelensky. So we know this going to be this Munich conference is all about Ukraine, mostly about Ukraine. And and China is there and they're represented. They obviously want Russia to be successful. And I think it's very important for the West to realize it is time to pony up big time bucks to make sure this maybe last surge by the Russians of 200,000 uh, ill-equipped, ill-trained soldiers will fail. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. For a strong America, for a proud America, I am running for president of the United States of America. Just like that, uh, Donald Trump has some company. Nikki Haley is now in. How formidable is she? I say very. Number two. Just makes the story get worse and worse for the Biden administration because it wasn't as if the sneaky Chinese got this balloon past our radar and suddenly it appeared over our missile silos in Montana. They've been watching this balloon for weeks. Yeah, and they've had it. The a, They've had the program for years. I have a huge problem with this. China continues to throw out threats and attacks on our shooting uh, shooting down one of what they call weather balloons blown off course. Our VP says, I don't think it's a big breach. The president says, I don't think it's a big breach. Shouldn't affect relations. I say it absolutely has to. Number one. I can't believe, you know, right before I came on, DeWine went, wasn't it just yesterday they were told not to drink the water? Yes. Now today they're told you can drink the water? This is just turning into one nightmare, if you ask me. Aaron Brockovich, uh, the Palestine, uh, Palestine residents are steaming. Why didn't the owners of the derailed toxic train show up to answer their questions at a jam-packed town hall? Also a no-show. Mayor Pete, the transportation secretary, and anybody up until today from the administration in that now in uh, toxified region. Lee Zeldin joins us now. Uh, Lee, welcome back. It's great to be with you, Brian. First off, it's not your area. I get it. But what I've seen so far in Ohio, really, I can't get out of my mind. This train derails, spills toxic chemicals. They think the best thing to do from here on in is to detonate it. So it doesn't explode, causing shrapnel. They tell everyone, go find a hotel if you live within a mile from it, and now you can go back. Nobody's shown up. The EPA will show up today. This is unacceptable, Congressman. Yeah, the worst part of it is when you're getting that message from the government with confidence of what you should do next, and you're having a town hall or other outreach with these people in government, you want them to show up and to answer your questions, to answer whatever questions that you have. 
and it, it only results in less trust, less faith in the advice, the process, the directives uh, from government when it's only a one-way street. We want to see the, the Secretary of Transportation showing up to answer their questions. We want to see the company showing up and answering the questions. That level of, of transparency and, uh, and accountability is just uh, – it's causing even more of a trouble than what they had previously. The health piece of it uh, is one that's been filled with too much inconsistency as well, and it's as personal as it gets for these individuals who are right there. Absolutely. So the other thing to keep in mind, too, is I'm not a train expert. I never thought I'm not a, I'm not a chemist. But you know this vinyl, uh, this vinyl chloride is dangerous. It dates back to World War One. It burns you from the inside. It's unbelievable. And now they're saying you can drink the water. Don't worry about the dead fish and dead animals throwing up. Here is Harmy Dillon, a civil rights attorney, talking about what this company has actually done over the last few years. Cut ten. I think anybody who's touching this disaster, anybody who might be responsible, the railroad company certainly is, uh, railway company is certainly in big trouble with respect to this toxic tort, because th- this is not the only one. In the last four months in Ohio, there have been four derailments uh, by this, uh, this company. And so that's just a pattern of something wrong at the company. They probably had notice of some of these issues. Uh, I'm sure the Department of Transportation, if it gets its act together, will investigate that. But it's tragic that this happened without an investigation happening earlier, after the first incident, the second incident, or the third incident. And the guy, the CEO, is sitting in Atlanta in a $4.6 million mansion with a no-show because they were concerned about their welfare. But you have other things to, to discuss. First off, in New York in particular, we find out that they, evidently there's this tin cup meeting where everyone goes up to Albany and says what they need. The mayor here in New York did not go to bat for the 12 charter schools that need financing. And the Democrats up there expected it. You know it helps minorities most of all, disadvantaged youths most of all. How do you explain that? Yeah, amen to that point. You have people trapped in multi-generational poverty. You have kids stuck in poor-performing public schools. We see it with the most recent uh, test scores that came out nationally showing that black students, Hispanic students, low-income students in New York, where we spend two and a half times as much per pupil than places like Florida and Mississippi, are performing far worse than the same kids, the black students, the Hispanic students, the low-income students in places like Florida and Mississippi. So what you need at at this moment in time is to lift the cap on charter schools in the state, to recognize school choice, to make sure it's easier to get your kid into a quality education regardless of race, ethnicity, wealth. It should not matter. So this is the time to go to bat. No more excuses of how people in your own party aren't willing to do the right thing. You have to be able to lead. If you want to sign up for the awesome responsibility of being the mayor of the city of New York, don't look at Bill de Blasio as the example of anything. You need to aspire to a whole new example, next level, and that requires you go up to Albany and take on your own party. Yeah, why not? Because he has more publicity uh, than anybody else, and he certainly uh, has bigger, bigger name value. He didn't use it. He does. They, you know, the Democrats hold on to uh, and hold off bail reform, so we continue to live in the wild west of crime. And they they nix a promising judge that Governor Hochul, a Democrat that you almost beat. Uh, she wanted this judge, and she got beat up by the legislature. She got embarrassed. First time a judge has been kicked to the curb from a governor. 
Yeah, Hochul doesn't understand tactically how to do this. When, I, when I'm saying this, I'm referring to basically the entire job of working with a legislature to be able to get stuff done. We were calling for a special session of the state legislature to overhaul cashless bail, to give judges discretion to weigh dangerousness and more. And by the way, not a partisan issue, Mayor Eric Adams also calling for the same thing. So when they go up, finally – to Albany for a special session after the election, what do they do? They give themselves a pay raise. Now, Hochul could could oppose it. She could go to the public, because I'm sure the public on both sides of the aisle would be in agreement with her that this is something that should be opposed. She could veto it, and instead she ends up just going along with it. How much does the, the state legislature appreciate this act of playing along with their pay raise? They're, they're they, they're emboldened to roll her even further as we see right out of the gate. There's a vacancy in the Court of Appeals. That's the highest court here in the state. She puts out a nomination, and this legislature, people of her own party, mm -hmm. uh, people who are beholden to the far left, many of them come from the far left. Many of these people, by the way, would be insulted if you accuse them of not being a socialist. There are a bunch of those now in the state legislature, and unfortunately for Hochul, mm -hmm. When she gets rolled, that means New Yorkers get rolled, and it seems like she, the people around her, tactically, substantively, she just doesn't have it, and that doesn't bode well for the future of the state. And this is part of the reason why people are just moving out, especially this story. A New York City man shoved onto the track, a 66-year-old Brooklyn guy. It turns out the guy that shoved him on the track is this guy named Corey Walcott. Been arrested 19 times over the last 12 years. So how is this guy even out? Normally he wouldn't be, but the lack of bail reform has him out and about, and judges can't use discretion. It's outrageous. Yeah, and judges should have discretion to weigh dangerousness. Uh, there is a need to overhaul cashless bail here in the state. We need judges doing their job. We have some lax judges out there who let people on the street who shouldn't be. You have some district attorneys refusing to enforce the law, like the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, as he outlined on day one with his day one memo, and it all adds up. You, you end up going after law enforcement, take away tools that they need to be able to do their job, and as a result, you have people who don't feel safe on the streets and the subways, and they feel like these streets and subways are being turned over to criminals as opposed to being run by law-abiding New Yorkers. It all adds up together. But this isn't some complex, difficult-to-figure-out challenge. It's really simple. Stop passing pro-criminal laws. As a matter of fact, roll back the pro-criminal laws that you've passed. Cashless Bell is one of them. District attorneys doing their job. Judges doing theirs. And unapologetically back our selfless, dedicated men and women in blue. This isn't difficult for us to figure out and turn around. A uh, couple of things. Uh, 2024, Nikki Haley made it official yesterday. And this seems to be a veiled shot at the president, former president of the United States, Cut 23, and the current. In the America I see, the permanent politician will finally retire. We'll have term limits for Congress and mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. So, obviously, President Trump's 76. So, they were, he says, he's my, she says, he's my friend. But how do you see this playing out? Mike Pompeo's his friend, Tim Scott's his friend. Uh, Mike Pence was his friend. Lee Zeldin, you are friendly with the former president. How does this play out? Well, first off, the piece about term limits for Congress, I couldn't agree more. We need that type of turnover 
as far as the attack on somebody because they've hit some type of uh, you know mysterious uh, age of 75 that all of a sudden uh, that they might not be mentally competent. Uh, I've met plenty of people over 75 who are a heck of a lot sharper than people who are under 75. I get it. I mean, you see a contrast even with mental abilities between President Biden and many others who would be his peers at the same age. I don't know if you saw, by the way, or heard about this response that just took place with Don Lemon over CNN going after uh, Nikki Haley and suggesting that she is no longer in her prime because she's not in her 20s or 30s anymore. How does this end up playing out? I think the Nikki Haley uh, candidacy might be making the heads explode at CNN uh, more so than than just about anywhere else at the point, because it is another aspect of the Republican Party. It is a next generation. I happen to think, by the way, it's interesting if you play this out, if, if you're President Trump, you might want all of these people to get into the race. He does. I because think. If you end up just running against one or two of them, they might consolidate the rest of the Republican Party that might be looking for someone else. You know, President Trump, I don't know what the exact numbers. Maybe he has a solid 30, 35. Maybe it's more percent. That'll be with him no matter what, no matter who's running against him. Maybe it's 40. I don't know. But if he's running against one or two other people, that's probably more of a challenge for him than if everybody else gets in, because somebody like Nikki Haley is probably pulling more votes away from a Ron DeSantis than a Donald Trump. So what happens if Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott and Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence and just everybody else gets in the race? That might actually end up guaranteeing yeah. uh, President Trump's path. It's pretty interesting how that, the, how that dynamic plays out in a primary. Have you ever run against a friend? Yeah, listen, you can you can do that. I mean, you can you can have a competitive, spirited political race. I, I mean, I've done that. I, I had a primary last year with, uh, you know, Andrew Giuliani was in the race. I've known Andrew for a long time. We've always gotten along. Rob Astorino was in that race, got along uh, well through the years. Uh, but just keep it substantive. Everyone should be engaging in a debate in a way that is, you know, maybe in a way you're vetting out yourself, your your opponent. But at the end of the day, you have a race to win in a general election. So my message to whoever make up this Republican presidential field is that at the end of the day, whoever the nominee is, the rest of them should all be fully behind uh, doing everything in their power to make sure that Joe Biden doesn't get a second term. All right. So here, here is what Don Lemon said. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's, talk- not acor- Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll, if, you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s, and 40s. That, that, does that make, does this guy want to get fired? Really, you're basically daring any network. I don't care where you are. I mean, if if you're if you're running a a channel and you have a host saying something like that, you know, the person at the very least is being put on some previously scheduled vacation. I mean, something is happening to give this guy a a breather. Is he saying this about Kamala Harris, who's the vice president? It, was he saying it about Hillary Clinton when she was running? 
yeah, so I, I happen to think that Nikki Haley is going to be causing and, – and a bunch of other potential presidential candidates in the Republican field. I, I think it's going to cause a whole lot of heartburn on the other side because there is a whole other generation of talented Republicans working their way up through the ranks uh, who will provide one heck of a – uh, a challenge right. in it's the presidential races to come. Exactly, because everybody knows Republicans are not racist, sexist. Uh, they're not anti-immigrant, and but most of their candidates have been white and men. And now you have this Indian uh, governor uh, who is uh, India of uh, Indian heritage. You have an African American uh, working uh, guy who grew up in a very impoverished neighborhood. In Tim Scott, he's clearly going to run. And you got uh, Mr. Midwest and Mike Pompeo from West Point guy. You have a very diverse field, and and that's what really makes Democrats' head explode, especially Don Lemons. Lee, always great to have you on. All right, you got it. Take care, Brian. Go get him. That's Lee Zeldin. Your call's next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's go to the phones. Ken in California. Hey, Ken. Hey, Brian. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind? We're up against the break. You want to talk China? Okay, uh, real quick. Okay. Um, I want to talk about this balloon thing. It's, it's an insult. I don't see people. They flew not only from the west to the east, but from the, from the north to the south. And it's like it's such an insult to us. I, I can't believe people can't see that. And it's kind of one of those last straw things. We need to get a lot tougher with those people. Unfortunately, we're not going to do what the president we got. But uh, I hear you uh, 100%. And the thing is, I wish I lived in the world where we could talk it out. But the people we're going against are thugs. The Chinese government, a bunch of thugs and criminals, as is the Iranian government. And the Russians were seeing their bloodthirsty, egotistical, egomaniacal ways. That's who we're dealing with. I can't define our enemies, but they are they have a problem with us because we're essentially good. And we just want to provide people with opportunity and countries with uh, a degree of protection. And we're the problem to their world domination. We have to wake up to it. And a true leader would define it. But we're not getting that. And that's what I find just killer. Uh, when we come back, Daniel, uh, Bill Ack will be joining us from Ukraine. It's been one year and they fought brilliantly, but they're going to need more help. Continue to fight. We got to provide it to them. I'll discuss it. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When I was running for the president, I'd say that each of us is a president because all of us carry the responsibility for our country, for our beautiful Ukraine. And now it happened so that each of us is a warrior, a warrior in his or her right place. And I'm sure that each of us will win. Glory to Ukraine. And that was a year ago. And that was the sense as Zelensky was going to keep his country together, not ask for a ride. He just wants ammunition from us, unlike Gahani of uh, Afghanistan, who just fled with all our money. 
Uh, Zelensky was just the opposite. He stood and fight, fought, and so did the Ukrainian people. And now one year later, uh, after the invasion, they're trying to push the Russians out of their country entirely. But they are surging because they're embarrassed. And this might be their last big surge. Can they hold it out? Can they hold out? Uh, Daniel Bilak joins us now, member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine and head of Ukraine Invest. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. What a year it's been. Uh, thanks, Brian. Good to be back on. Yeah, it's uh, it's surreal, to be honest with you. What the Russians are doing is trying to de- destroy your country because they, they can't beat you head-to-head, uh, uh, can't beat you head-to-head in battle. That's pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we were supposed to be overrun in three days, and the country was supposed to collapse within three weeks. And here we are, uh, 300, almost 365 days later, a full year later, and uh, not only have we reclaimed over 54% of the land that they uh, they had invaded and, and taken in the early days, uh, but, uh, you know, we're holding them off. Um, you know, we, there, there are estimates uh, from the, the British uh, Defense Secretary the other day that 97% of the entire Russian army is now deployed and committed in Ukraine, and that we have, over the course of the year, degraded 50% of it. And, and, you know, if, if, if we can just hang on in, in some of these, these key places where they're concentrating their forces now and wait for the ammunition and the, and the, and the, and the tanks and the armor and the artillery that's been promised to us um, in, the ne- in the next month or two, you know, we're going to drive these, uh, these orcs back to Mordor. We're going to just drive them right out of the country. And that's going to be our common victory, Brian. That's going to be the victory of the people of the United States. Uh, with us, with the Brits, with the Germans, with uh, with the other European allies, NATO allies, Canada, and uh, you know, and that's gonna that's that's what true victory is actually gonna mean is that we get our we get our territory back, all of it, and we we hopefully we see the downfall of the Russian Empire because so long as Russia is in the current state that it's in, um, there'll never be peace in 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 Europe, Brian. So I understand over the last week the, the Russians lost 130. Uh, armored vehicles. I also understand, according to Ben Wallace, the person you're referring to, the U- UK uh, defense minister, that uh, in this bald, uh, battle of Ulador, they have lost almost every one of their uh, well, one of their soldiers, except eight survived and are looked at as deserters. Can you verify any of this? Well, I mean, you know, this has all been in the public uh, uh, domain. And, you know, I think the Brits have got pretty good intelligence. They share it with the Americans. I, I, I certainly believe the things that, uh, that, that they put out. Um, look, Brian, we're, we're killing between, you know, six, eight hundred to a thousand Russians a day. We, we need to be killing five thousand to get through this, this army of, of cannon fodder that they're just throwing at us. I mean, you know they're they're using old equipment now. They, 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 all their their main battle tanks, the modern ones, about 50% of those have been destroyed. They're they're, they're taking stuff that's been in in uh, uh, on their on their fields and conserved for for 40 years and trying to put it forward. Um, you know they're 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 really they're they're going to try to throw everything they can at us uh, at this stage because they know that. You know, American armor and German armor and, and British armor is coming uh, to them, and they know that they can't withstand it. So I hear the you know, Germans. I, I, I hear the Germans are not coming across at very small percentage of what they promised, and they're still trading with Russia. Uh, and and the, are these two facts known, and 
What's your reaction to them? Well, you know what? I, 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 I never believe anything until I actually see the, the tanks in, 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 in the country. And actually, I did see some, some German leopards in Ukraine last week. They might have been the Canadian ones that, uh, uh, that uh, the Canada sent. But, you know, the, the fact that they're trading with, with Russia is, is legal because the, I guess the, the, there, there hasn't been a, a ban put on uh, uh, oil and, and, and gas exports. Uh, but, um, you know, if, if people are trading with, with Russia, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an enormous moral uh, issue that is, uh, that is involved. You know, we, we keep hearing from people that, you know, we're, we're afraid of escalation. We don't want to give you F-16s now because we're afraid of escalation. We didn't want to give you tanks. We didn't want to give you HIMARS. We didn't want to give you artillery. But in the end, we got them, we used them responsibly, we used them effectively, and then they go forward. So I, I suspect we will get most of what we've been promised uh, and probably more. Um, but, you know, we, we have tendencies like, like this stuff about escalation where we're just allowing Putin to weaponize our fears uh, against us. And you see that coming out in, in some of the press in, uh, in the United States and, yeah. and other places with, with journalists saying, you, you know, uh, we, we, should, we should stop this uh, and, and focus on China or, you know, don't, don't arm Ukraine because of escalation, blah, blah, blah. And it costs too much. You know, Brian, it costs the American taxpayer $14 a month to, to, to equip us, to give us the arms that the United States have been supplying us. That's, that's like 3.2% of the Pentagon budget. That's, that's 0.01% of the GDP of NATO countries. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a rounding error. And, and what America gets is its, its vital sworn enemy who's, who's determined to destroy everything about American democracy and democracy around the world is degraded, as I said, by 50% at no cost to American lives. Zero. And that, you're never going to get a deal like that again. No question. So Khodorkovsky, one of these oligarchs who was jailed for 10 years because he was a threat to Vladimir Putin, will be speaking in the Munich conference. And one of the things he said, he warns the West, if Russia beats the Ukraine, expect another world war. What do you think he's getting at? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we've talked about this on your show a number of times, Brian, that, you know, if, if he is not, if the Russian army is not defeated totally in Ukraine, and Ukraine does not get all of its territory back, including Crimea and the Donbass, he's coming back. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. If he's allowed to keep even what he's got now, he's going to rearm. He's going to resupply. And he's going to come back after the rest of Ukraine. But he's going to keep going. This guy is not the reincarnation of Peter the Great, which he thinks everybody talks about. He is the spawn of Stalin. And if you look at a map of where Stalin's influence in the, in the USSR, the Soviet Union's influence, uh, extended to, it's half of Europe. And uh, all of these Eastern European countries certainly know that. And, and I, I think that, that you're going to see a, 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 a potentially a nuclear war. And you know what? Frankly, we, we, there was a there was a, a survey that came out last week that 89% of Ukrainians said that they would fight on even if even if Putin uses nuclear weapons against Ukraine, and because 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 we have no other choice. And I really hope that that we can continue to give the West and NATO its mojo to to see this through. We're close, Brian. We're really close. I mean, you know, if we can get rearmed, if we can get properly, we're getting trained on combined arms training, all this stuff that the Russians cannot and do not know how, cannot do and do not know how to do, 
They're just throwing bodies at us. We got to cut through those bodies, drive them out of the country, and we can have this done by the end of the year. Uh, that'll be great. 100%. Uh, that would be great, and people should understand it. I wish our president would explain it more uh, rather than just uh, to take a, a few questions as he's walking to an SUV because there's so much at stake. I also think that India needs to be pressured to stop the trade as well as these Middle Eastern countries to stop trading with Russia. India uh, knows better. There are certain things I get it once in a while. You need some oil, but now they're taking advantage of where the West has pulled out. India is now moving into Russia. So that is unacceptable, and we do have some leverage over them, don't you think? Well, Brian, this is a really—you make an excellent point. It's, 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 it's China, it's uh, India, it's Brazil, it's Indonesia, it's South Africa. These are huge countries, all of whom are either sort of nominally neutral but trading with, uh, uh, with, with, uh, with Russia. Look, the world is going to, post-victory, the world is, it seems to be coming into a bipolar type of a situation. You're going to have the democratic nations on the one hand, and you're going to have, you know, the axis of evil, uh, the uh, countries of tyranny and, 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 and repression and, uh, and dictatorships on the other hand. And countries like India... Uh, and Brazil, and are going to have to decide which side they're on. I mean, are they democracies and share in the values and, and get the benefits of, of trade with uh, uh, and technology with uh, countries like the United States and, and its allies? Or are you going to double down and, and, and suck on the oil that, uh, that, uh, that Russia is providing you at a deep discount? You know, it's very transactional. And as we've seen in this war, Brian, you know, there's a cost to doing transaction, transactional business uh, with, uh, with dictators. You know, you pay the piper at some point, and this is not going to end well for India or Brazil or these other countries that are doing this. Lula was just uh, that, that criminal, was just at the White House. Uh, and why the president wouldn't be using that time to pressure him, but this has got to stop. Now, there's certain fertilizer and certain things that nations have that maybe. Once in a while, there might be an exception, but to have consistent trade to fill the gaps for the rest of the world, uh, I don't see that happening with India and Brazil. They, they need America too much. Why don't we just use the obvious leverage we have? Uh, so these little things around the edges go a long way. And if you go out and publicly call out Germany for not giving their share of the weapons or money, that also goes a long way. Don't worry about being friends with people. Make people do the right thing. Uh, Daniel Billack, thanks so much for what you're doing. Uh, you guys are, are making history with the way you're fighting. Hope you can keep it up. Thanks, Brian. God bless the people of the United States. Thank you for standing with us. You got it, always. Uh, listen, when we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know. Maybe taking some calls. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back. I'll try to squeeze in some calls and keep in mind One Nation. Coming up Friday night, 8 o'clock, uh, repeated at 11. That's Eastern time. I hope everyone's going to watch here on the Fox News channel. Special thanks to Daniel Bilak, who's calling us from war turn Ukraine. And I just hope people appreciate his message. Let's get to to find out once and for all if, indeed, there's more to know. 
More to know. Not many people are flocking to syndicated television like they used to. When Regis Philbin and uh, Kathy Lee were together, they'd be number one or number two, having about 10 million viewers. Now it's down to about 1.5 million, but still successful as Ryan Seacrest, uh, Kelly and Ryan, no longer. It looks like the man who filled in for Michael Strahan, took over for Michael Strahan, Ryan Seacrest will be moving on. So, so, Kelly and I have some news here. This is something that uh, she and I have been talking about for a long time. And it, it was a tough, tough decision. Last year, we spoke, and I made the decision to make this my last season as co-host with Kel here on Live with Kelly and Ryan. What- last season, just like that, Ryan Seacrest will go. Guess who's taking over? Mark Consuelos. I think they had great chemistry. I, I met him, Mark, a few times. I never met uh, Kelly, uh, but Mark's a great guy. So uh, Ryan Seacrest doing a million things. I'm surprised he lasted this long. Yeah, and he's actually not even going to last this full season. He said once American Idol is back up and running, he's done. Yeah, but he will. He said he will return as a uh, as a fill-in guest host. Yeah, I, I don't blame him. At least there's no anger this time. There's no stabbing yeah. in the back. There's no crying and uh, and all the other drama that took place. Was there somebody between Strahan and Ryan Seacrest? I, I feel like there was. rotating? Oh, okay. Um, Could be wrong. Maybe it'll be Anderson Cooper. No, no, it's her husband. Okay, next. Former ESPN president is floating a controversial proposal, make Super Bowl pay-per-view to increase NFL revenue. This is John Skipper. Let's listen. If you just assume that half of the people watched would still figure out a way to watch if it costs $200, $250 for a household... You can have bigger parties, which is, I don't know how many households, it's I assume half the households in the United States watched. If it was only a quarter of the households who were willing to pay $250 to have a party at their house, it would still get you into the billions of dollars for a single game. And that is the single best way I can think of for the NFL to increase their annual revenue take for their clubs. Number one. Make- All right. I, I can't even listen to this. So let's gouge the sports fan who are already paying for cable, for streaming, for whatever they're watching it on. And let's make them pay more for a game that's been an American celebration. you got to be kidding me. Is everything about the bottom dollar? We're not talking about indoor lacrosse. We're talking about the most popular game of the world. you got to gouge the public even further. That's absolutely insane. He was acting like the NFL is struggling for revenue. Yeah, oh, this way they can make. What kind of thought is this? The NFL is basically printing money. Even through all the, the controversy uh, in previous years, they still are printing money. Next, Dick Van Dyke, who I've been compared to often, still seeing at 97. Remember, he was starring in uh, Mary Poppins, which has been released, uh, I think, 100 years ago. This guy, uh, I have not met him. But to be that limber, that good shape, that diverse, you're talking about a guy that was a big star in the 60s. And here we are in 2023, and he's still dancing. Not only he's still dancing, still singing, he's still with it. And he pops up in videos all over the place, too. Listen to this. uh, He was a panelist on Masked Singer. Yes, the whole world just like being the gnome it was a real dark in there nicole you you are in tears like it's, I, I love you so much we love you oh. the whole world loves you so much it's an honor to have you on our show 
You are one of the reasons why I got into comedy. You are oh. comedy. You're the goat. Oh. Uh, that is Dick Van Dyke, so he's getting some appreciation. Uh, what does he look like? Big beard? Yeah, he's, still, he's got the white beard, uh, white hair, but he, he's a legend. He is oh. an icon, and well, also, a lot of people grew up with him. He also keeps himself limber, a lot of stretching. Next, Meghan Markle's half-sister claims the Duchess made up the rags-to-royalty narrative. Markle's half-sister appeared in virtual court Wednesday in her defamation case against the Duchess, uh, her sister, where she claimed the royal tarnished her name by fabricating a rags-to-royalty narrative. Uh, so Samantha Markle is suing her sister in federal court. What a crazy family. This is nuts. Samantha Markle said this. My half-sister orchestrated the campaign to defame and destroy her sister and her father's reputation and credibility in order to preserve and promote this false rags-to-world narrative had fabricated the story about her life. I mean, every, everybody's wrong here. Yeah, I, it's so easy to just tune these right. two out. And they're, a lot of people, they, they, they a lot of people say, victims. why haven't I slept lately? And it's because I can't sleep until I find out if the king coronation will include an invitation to Megan. Do you have like a poster board in your office where you try to figure out the royal family? And so I, so I think about it. Yeah. I am done with my family. I'm focusing on a fictional family uh, with fictional royalty. Have you told your family you are the king, though? I mean, I'm sure right. they know that. But they're a real family. Yeah, sure. They're a little, John Kerry's uh, private jet just sold to a hedge fund. He feels a little guilty flying around the rest of the world telling <laughs> us to go green. And I guess they found an electric plane. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, this is Brian Kilmey. Keep, uh, keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show never stops, and you can always get me on the podcast, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Everybody else is. Uh, Don't move. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.